0: 307 RPG podcast. well i found
1: most of the monsters to be Sunday intriguing on, i do think that the the human 307 section 307 is so much more in depth than i thought it would be that was kind of what struck website, me especially 307RPG. when the guy when we 307RPG. asked like what's your favorite 307RPG. monster and the guys from free league were like the humans like hello and welcome everybody to the
0: 307 rpg podcast i'm patrick
1: i'm nolan i'm zach
0: well, we took a rather sudden week off last week, mostly because I stayed up way too late and did not get any show notes done and was absolutely not prepared because we had our annual Halloween slash birthday party for my wife, which is funny because when I talked to her about it, she's like, no, that is for all the October birthdays, fucker. So I guess we were just celebrating everybody's birthday last weekend. And of course, you were both there. It was kind of nice to be able to get back together and and do that again and, and not have to because last year was an absolute disaster. But this year was was better. Uh, hopefully, you both had fun. Nolan, you were over the top in your costume. So many people have told me that you looked absolutely amazing. They I did. Uh, I, looked,
2: I had forgotten how popular Lucifer was. So if I'd have known that was it, it was way easier to do that than, than going the other way. But it was fun. It was nice to be together. Mm-hmm. You kind of Save forget it. that. We've all kind of... Uh, natural I think introverts and enjoying our own space and it's nice to be reminded of uh, good friends and good times so it was yeah. it was worth
0: it and poor Zach's costume did not show up in time did it ever show up
1: yeah I have a shitty wizard costume like a bad one like a bad Merlin one. Oh no if we do d if we do D&D live we actually get that I'll have a I'll have a bad wizard costume for it
0: oh that's fantastic I love it
1: <laughs> maybe I'll wear it next year I don't know
0: There we go. (laughs) So what have you guys been up to this week?
2: Nothing exciting on my end. uh, Fighting a little bit of a cult. So if I sound nasally or uh, proceed to disappear and cough out a lung, that will be why. Other than that, nothing exciting. It really was kind of just one of those weird, I don't know, I'm sure there was stuff. I watched some Critical Role of the new season and laughed my butt off. But other than that, it's been fairly low key. What about you, Zach? Uh,
1: I had a medical procedure. Yes, you did.
0: You're a little tender um, today,
1: yeah. Uh, I got a vasectomy on Friday, so uh, I've been holed up, not doing anything. Congrats. I could finally move around today and next oh, we left the house. so well, that's good. feels good
0: <laughs> well i'm I'm glad that uh, <laughs> you and your vasectomy are doing well yeah. <laughs> For me, it's been a whole fucking week of. Okay, go to this rehearsal for this show as soon as you finish that one. Run straight downstairs to go to this rehearsal for this show. Uh we wrapped up Rocky Horror last night and it was simply amazing. I think they they said there was more than 300 people in the crowd, which and everybody was dressed up. I mean, we had some folks there was a drag show that was done earlier in the day, like a, like I think it ended like an hour before our show began. So we had a lot of those folks show up Um, And there was people from every age from like their early, I think, well, the youngest, you had to be 18 to get in. And so and I know we had 18 year olds there all the way up to people in their 70s. And it was it was absolutely amazing. So uh, it was a great night of of acceptance and body positivity and exploring sexuality and not being afraid to do that on stage in front of a huge crowd. So, yeah. It's a good night, Uh, which is good because that means one show down, one more to go, which means hopefully my weeks won't be as stressful and then it's break time. So we'll see what happens. And then focusing my focus after that is going to be on our epic D&D campaign that we're going to be embarking upon, which will be our wrap up for 5E as we look at other realms and stuff that we've been learning about and wanting to explore. So that's that's kind of what I've been at this week. So fun, fun. Uh, anyway, our topic for this week, Zach has, uh, ha- of course, we all we've mentioned that three hundred seven RPG supported the runes of Simurum in that Zach backed it in Kickstarter, and we Zach has been getting the the preview PDFs as these companies are are doing nowadays, and we wanted to take a look at the bestiary because holy fuck. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's a cool book. <laughs> so that's going to be our topic for this week. But before we do that, let's get into the news. In Dungeons and Dragons world, fizzband's Treasury Dragon is, is out in the wild. Before we dive into this book, I do want to give a quick shout out to Halen down at Puzzles. He reached out to me and let me know that he had a limited supply of the alternate art cover for Fizz So I wanted to know if I w- wanted one. He said he wanted to make sure before he put them out on the shelf. And I thought that was really cool of him. I did not purchase one, but I'm incredibly appreciative of Halen for reaching out to me. You know, it just goes to show support your local game store. Now, I know you can get the book cheaper on Amazon, support your local game store, because at the end of the day, that's the person in your community who's helping to support your community and to grow your community and things like that. So always support your game store when you can. That being said, I have not had any time at all to look at this book, so I'm going to be turning this over to Nolan and Zach. Nolan, we'll start with you as you are our d d encyclopedia all <laughs> well, the two of you are like that. an encyclopedia so, yeah. set so we're going to turn it over to you what can you tell us about this book
2: if you like dragons it's a great book if you don't like dragons i still think it's a great book i don't know if i would rush out and buy it um, as far as alternate covers go I, it is the first one that i've seen that i'm still thinking i might pick up because i absolutely love it looks like a uh a religious painting of two dragons of both factions locked in battle. And it just is, it screams just a great art piece. And and so I'm trying to say if I'm going to get the book or if I'm going to see if I can find and make that a poster. So um, more as to the book, it does give us some character options uh, for your players as far as creating a character of a draconic race. It does introduce the gem dragons, which are more of the psionic side, which I'm hoping is continuing to build up to actually getting them a real solid book of their own. It does add some draconic feats that uh, I wish there was a little bit more, but... Kind of is what it is. I think it's a good dabble into it. Uh, it does add some new spells. Uh, they did change a little bit of the naming from uh, the UA, but it is kind of the iconic dragons of uh, different areas and different realms. And then the really cool thing, I think, about it probably transfers more over to the Dungeon Master. And it gives a very adamant idea that we finally see them being intelligent creatures. It gets the feeling of smoke. It gets that every red dragon is not just a typical red dragon. They are they look different, their personalities are different. And so there's a whole section on role-playing the dragon, kind of its characteristics, what it's are its little quirks. You know, smog was you could flatter Smog and he would listen to it. Whereas the other one would be like, Your flattery is ruined on me, but maybe he's enamored with the way you look and he collects trinkets or something like that. So I, I found that really interesting uh from a standpoint of you could you can really give this creature a life. Of its own, a mind of its own, and it's not just a monster from the Monster Compendium. It talks about relationships that they have. uh, It talks about their minions and how they would would interact with them, how to create them as adventure. Whether the dragon is just a monster that uh, you know Smog finally decides to take out, uh, you know Dale, you know, and it's like okay, he's going to ape shit versus Smog the schemer who's playing a thing and sending out little tendrils, or Smog um, as just a straight up this is your big overarching bad guy and how is he going to affect the campaign? What are our factions? The final thing on it uh, does add a little bit of magic. Uh, I really do like what they've done here and they kind of talked about this a little bit in Lord of the Rings of the, the gold and everything like that kind of had the dragon sickness around it. And so they talk about corrupting the hoard. We're not necessarily corruption this one here, but just little trinkets and knickknacks. Um, there's so much magic hoarded in one area that there's almost this residue of it. And there can become different levels of tier in this type of magic as far as, um, is it asleep? Is it awakened? Is it uh, unleashed? And, and so there's these kind of, all the way up to like a legendary style uh, magic item. And it evolves. Uh, let's see, what do they call it here exactly? Let's see here. Depending on the type of dragon that's a part of the horde will give that ability to have a, a greater level um it does talk about like uh, the magic on it there can be curses upon uh, the items it gives you a whole list of what's in the horde from magic to mundane uh, trinkets and tokens of what they would think would be interesting based upon the type of dragon that you kill um so I, yeah I, there's a lot of um If this is your big bad guy, if this is what you're writing your campaign around, I find this to be a really fascinating um, opportunity to give it personalities. Uh, The big thing I think about dragons, and I think you could really carry over that type of personality to just about anything. You could have a dragonborn sorcerer that's your overarching bad guy, and you could really pull in these traits and personality things. Um, If you are a dragonborn sorcerer or if you are a dragonborn, there's a little table on there to help you with those little things. Um, to help maybe bring in a little more monster slash dragon of your bloodline into it, and I thought that was really cool. There is a giant just compendium here of the dragons, what it means to be them, uh, personality traits of each kind, personalities, their ideals, what kind of spell casting they would lean towards, and then a, a list of adventure hooks of where a black dragon would be involved, uh, depending on their age, wormling up to ancient. Of what they care about is very different, and then kind of in the theme of. The week, there is a uh, a bestiary compendium in there, and there happens to be an eye drake. And when a beholder contends with a dragon for power and wealth, its thoughts of the dragon rival be- can become deeply obsessive. Eventually, pervading the beholder's dreams. If the rivalry lasts long enough, these fever dreams can manifest as an eye drake, a beholder-like creature with draconic features. I'm going to send Patrick a picture of it right now. That,
0: that's hilarious because if you remember right during the Tale of the Nine Horned Gods, that was one of the, the monsters. And I don't know if I ever told you this, Zach, but I had told Nolan that was kind of my idea that a, a beholder had become obsessed with a dragon and wanted to figure out how to make them together, was dreaming about it. And I was going to have that as one of our monsters.
2: So it is it is a combination of them. I saw that. I thought of Patrick. Um, oh, my I'm God. That's awesome. So uh, it does have the eye beams, uh, it does have some flying abilities, it carries its beholder eye in its dragon mouth. Uh, the eyedrake, left to its own devices, gives it much of the stereotypical behavior of a young dragon, attempting to establish a lair and a horde. Driven by instinct to jealously defend its horde, an eyedrake fights to the death if anything threatens even the smallest trinket it claims as its own.
0: Fuck yeah, that's cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, I there's a lot of things I really enjoyed about this. There's a lot of things I took away from it as far as some ideas. There, are, I don't again. If you're playing a dragon type character, if you are wanting to have that kind of influence, I think there's some good stuff in here for you. Uh, I believe on DnD Beyond, I paid thirty bucks for it. So it, it, you know, not a full blown fifty dollar book. If you're a DM that's really into dragons, wants that kind of stuff, wants to have a high dragon fantasy. Uh, world. I think it's another good one there. There are some personalities of some dragons, some big high-named ones, so you can kind of see them as a reference point of what they look like. A big old group of draconic monsters. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't, it's good. It's interesting. I, 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 I enjoyed reading through it. I definitely inspired some ideas of maybe what I do next. Uh, I really like some of the magic items. Um, I really, really enjoy... It, it really does feel like harvesting some of the dragon's parts. There's a crystal blade. This magical blade is fashioned from a horn or a spine of a crystal dragon. A dragon hide belt, this finely detailed belt, is made of dragon hide. So I it felt like old school D&D where you would salvage every single part and see if you could fashion something from it. Like, this is a big mythical beast that we killed. The tooth has got to be something special. Let's save it. So, uh Yeah. I oh, know it's cool. There's some fizzband stuff. He's the one narrating it. There's a there's a monster group of people that will kill dragons and then graft their parts onto them. And fizzband's like, Well, if you ever see a person who's running around saying, Dragon, I'm a dragon, I'm a dragon. He goes, It's probably a grafter and it's not a real dragon. And so FizzBand very nonchalantly just kind of brushes them off as these psychopaths that like cut off their arm and attach a dragon limb to it. So it's it's got some comedy in it. Um I don't know. The magic weapons are cool. I like it a lot. I like the idea that you've awakened this dragon weapon. It goes from slumbering to stirring to wakened to ascendant. And, you know, this weapon starts off as a, you know, just a basic, a weapon decorated with dragon heads, claws, wings, or scales or draconic letters. When it steeps in a dragon's horde, it absorbs the energy of the dragon's breath weapon and deals damage to that type with its special properties. So, you know, if you're looking for things in there and some things may not make sense, or you have a character that, is wielding a polearm and the magic items that comes from it is a plus three greatsword. Well, here's some opportunities. Like, well, there is a spear. It's very mundane, but it's been in here for centuries and it looks like it's collected. There's something special and you could have level up with that person who needs a polearm. So go forth and have fun with a big book of dragons. Alternate art is very cool for this cover of it. If you haven't seen it, check it out.
0: Zach, have you had a chance to look at this book at all?
1: Um, I have not had a chance to read it as much as Nolan has. I've given it a kind of a brief, quick look through. My feeling is that this is what, like, Volo's Guide to Monsters should have been. Also, it it kind of feels more like 3.5, where you had a book for just everything, where you would have just, like, the book Races of Stone, and it's just gnomes, goliaths, and dwarves, and that's it. And you'd have... Uh, what was it called? Masters of the Deep or something? It's just about aberrations. It was a book just about beholders and mind flayers, and that was it. And I feel like that's... I don't know. Like, these books are pretty like hefty and expensive. But I think it's kind of nice to just have one just about dragons. Yeah. And maybe dragons are just that, that thing that they can afford to do that with. Like it feels different. It feels different from Canaan's and it feels different from Volo's. Well, I, <laughs> I love the fact that they included that, that the beholder Draco,
0: that, that is, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Um, I'm glad I'm not the only one who has a weird, fucked up, twisted because <laughs> that just that makes my day. I have asked absolutely no time at all to look at this book. I do think it's great, Nolan, that you mentioned that, you know, Fizzband does th- like there's a little bit of comedy and stuff like that, because, and Zach, I think you've read the Dragonlance books more recently mm-hmm. than I have. But I seem to remember Fizzband was that very mm-hmm. aloof, goofy wizard that they always ran into.
1: Yeah, he was never serious. He's, I think he had, a, he, had, he had dementia and Alzheimer's. Like there's a
2: he, one of his quotes in here. He's talking to a amethyst dragon. I once saw life sought life advice from an amethyst dragon who specialized in that sort of thing. I told her all my flaws and unwanted behaviors, and she prescribed me the best elixir. Stop doing those things. I still think back to that visit of my trying times. <laughs> That's all. okay. Thanks, man. Like, well, just don't do those things. Yeah, those pretty simple. Okay. So, lots of dragon stuff. I again, I'm hoping the gem dragon stuff leads out to uh, some more psionics. Well, uh, there are a couple of subclass options in here: monk, way of the ascended dragon, and ranger drake warden, which gives you uh, a semi-little drake as a pet instead of like the beastmaster one. So eventually, you can fly on a little wormling. Uh,
0: and that's pretty cool, too. I think that fits a lot of that fantasy as well. Very, very cool. Any any other D&D news? I didn't really see anything else. This is all I saw. Yeah, I don't think they're putting out too much right now because they want this book. Uh, that to be the focus, in, in my opinion. So, well, cool. I think I think it's a cool book. Um, it's not something I'm going to rush out and buy only because um, I just I'm very much limiting the books that I'm buying because, I well, I have limited space. And I just haven't jumped on to buying it through D&D Beyond because I, I'm just terrified that if D&D Beyond goes away, you lose those books. I still think it's a really cool book. Um, I loved Fizban when I read the Dragonlance novels years ago, and I love the fact that they're pulling them in. And if I remember correctly, you are talking about the um, the Crystal Dragons. I think that's a Dark Sun thing. Could be. Oh, fairly certain that's where those came from, but I could be wrong. Okay, well, cool. I Like I said, I didn't see anything else from D&D, so I guess let's jump over to Onyx Paths real quick. Uh, the Kickstarter for Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition of the Apocalyptic Record has come to a very successful end, finishing at $93,315. Several stretch goals were unlocked throughout this campaign, which is awesome for werewolf fans. Uh, if this is your first time backing an Onyx Path Kickstarter, usually these campaigns, especially when they're funded that well, unlock a couple of books as well that you can add to your set. So that's, that's cool. Glad to hear that went well. Onyx Path did announce their next Kickstarter for, will be for the, the Trinity Continuum Anima. And I just grabbed this directly from Onyx Path. It says, this is our newest of the TC core books and features a dual setting with the futuristic dystopian quote, cyberpunk time period focused on the gleaming and perfect city of Cascade combined with being able to play in Cascade's most popular virtual fantasy game world. No date yet when that's going to launch. Uh, I would imagine it's going to be within the next two weeks. So they usually, especially since they don't need to get any sort of outside permissions for that one, that one will launch pretty quick. I know Trinity is not something either of us have looked at, uh, except I think we know it in title only. Correct. Yeah. So. There you go. If you're a fan of the Trinity Continuum, be sure to check that one out. We'll let you know when that goes live. Over at Free League, uh, they have announced a spin-off of their game, Mork Borg, called Cyborg, Cy underscore Borg. And I just, again, grabbed this from uh, the Free League announcement. It says, the world ends once more. Mark Borg enters the future with cyberpunk spinoff game Cyborg. Do you dream strange and feverish dreams about a nano-infested doomsday RPG where cybernetic misfits and punks are raging against a relentless corporate hell? Now those dreams are about to come true. (laughs) Free League Publishing and Stockholm Cartel today announced a publishing partnership for the tabletop role-playing game Cyborg, coming to Kickstarter November 13th. Uh, uh, let's see I I guess I didn't grab the rest of it Uh, so I I know we haven't we've never played Mork Borg I think it's probably something we need to give a one shot to Aiden has said that the game is absolutely brutal and fun it looks so cool.
1: It really does. It looks so cool.
0: I, I think I'm going to reach out to Free League and talk to them, see if we can get somebody to come on the show to tell us about this one. It might just be fun to learn about Morkborg in general, as well as Cyborg. I, I mean, I love cyberpunk stuff. So this could be a fun one to have them come out and chat us, uh, to us about. Uh, another Free League news Coriolis, the third Horizon RPG, has launched on the Foundry virtual tabletop platform. Uh, I think it's cool that we're seeing all these virtual tabletop platforms getting some of these more indie games instead of just the big Mm -hmm. ones which is really cool
1: i yeah yeah (laughs) i'm i i hope boundary does well i feel like it feels strange that like you never hear about roll 20 anymore like i really feel like they kind of squandered the lead they had on everybody
0: yeah that's very possible, which is, I mean, that's one of the business cycles, right? Especially if you're the founder, if you're the the front runner, when it comes to these kind of things, if you uh-huh. don't continue to be the person who's putting out the new thing, you will slowly get eaten up and then you'll just be another name in in the system, right? Yeah. So Roll20, I, I think you're probably not wrong, Zach. And I think I you had a lot of people who, who with, you know, sh- everybody shutting down, not being able to play together, virtual tabletop speaking, I mean, we tried it. We gave Roll20 a shot. I didn't find Roll20 to be the easiest platform to use, and I haven't used other platforms since. Uh, In fact, I got very frustrated with Roll20 on more than one occasion, probably because I didn't know it. And I think if I had taken the time to actually learn it the way I should have, it might have been a really good program to use. Uh, But I do think you're right. I think we've seen other virtual tabletop platforms jump at least equal to where Roll20 is at now. Mm-hmm. So cool. I don't I don't remember the name of this studio, so I just have it here as Abrax. Uh Again, I just don't remember the name of the studio. We did mention this either. project before, uh, but I haven't checked in on it a bit. Uh, the Sky Raiders of Abrax, a 5e world written by famed designers Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, is doing very well on its Kickstarter campaign. The initial ask was for $60,000, and it's currently sitting at $277,280. This is that sky-high fantasy role-playing game that we talked about. It looks so, it's like fantasy and steampunk blended into one. It looks really cool. Um, Lots of stretch goals have been unlocked on this one. There's a link in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. You know, anytime that you can mix fantasy and steampunk, I'm pretty much all in. So I'm, I'm cool with this one. I think it looks like a lot of fun. Monty Cook Games, creators of the setting Tolis, has announced a new Kickstarter. This one called Plane Breaker. Oh, shit. And I, I had a tab open to talk about. That. Oh, I do still. OK, good. <laughs> Explores exotic alternate planes with a new 5e home written by legendary designers Bruce Cordell, Sean Reynolds, who came on our show and talked about Tolis and, of course, Monty Cook. Nolan, you backed TOLUS and you've received your your actual project. Uh, so I'm curious, what can you tell us about Monte Cook products, the quality of the books, all that stuff that, you know, obviously people think about before they, they kickstart something?
2: Uh, yeah. So I, as far as quality goes, I think it's very good. They put a lot into TOLUS. And I understand TOLUS is a thing that uh, is very old and very well liked and just coming forward in a modern setting uh, they had a lot of stuff to build with it but the layout is really well done the side notes the sidebars the GM tips that they add um, looks like they carried over to plane breaker which I find very 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 kind because then that way you're like oh I need this I don't know where to go so there's always a little sidebar says oh well if you beat so and so you know on page 86 is that character stats or you find them here in this area page 130." three is the dock district and and so it it really helps you like in the heat of the moment if you've missed something or or skip that plan or your players skip ahead to a spot it gives you kind of reference points throughout the book i enjoy the art of them i feel like a lot of the classes uh, and races um, that they come up with are kind of the it has the old school feel it feels like a little bit of 3.5 where they kind of just if you want to play it, play it. Here's the stats. So as you look at Plane Breaker, Plane Breaker hit Kickstarter. Uh, I believe it had a $50,000 goal. It's at 240000 with 19 days to go. The theory behind Plane Breaker is there is some sort of cosmic moon that is launched out through the cosmos. And as it passes by a realm, it warps the realm enough to a point that Every other place that it's passed through now is connected. And so you as a player, if you learn how to do it, you can become kind of a plane walker. And once you understand that, then you can visit all these different places. So it's nice to, I don't know, it's not maybe a spell jammer style uh, take on things, just giving, opening up a lot more planes. I think it would free up a ton of stuff for go visit where you want to go visit, which I thought would be kind of a cool thing. Um, and then all, once all realms are open to you, I think it just adds all books as well. So it looks cool. Uh, looks like it's got its own, cl- uh, subclasses in there. I know one of the free previews I believe was a rogue that kind of had like the Peter Pan style with the shadow, except for you got like a shadow stitch craft die where your shadow actually worked with you and could, you know, attack or move stuff and uh, help you with stealth because it would like wrap you in its own darkness. And so a lot of, I don't know, that was the only real preview I saw from it. But if that's kind of the take on it, it seems like traveling through the plains is not necessarily uh, very healthy. You don't come out unscathed
0: Zach, what are your thoughts
1: uh, i love the idea of reverse space travel you know where something celestial visits you and now you can go other places rather than you having to visit it <clears throat> it almost reminds me of like a mortal combat style where like there's all these realms right You can't go there technologically. You have to go there magically. And I think it's cool. Monty Cook's been doing this for 20 years. You know? I think it's cool to see him be able to still kind of, like, get these things made. And I also think it's interesting to see someone whose sensibilities were, like, fundamental to a prior edition of Dungeons & Dragons making stuff for the new edition. Because I think... Like, I don't know. I know that the people who made 5th edition were involved up until this point, but I feel like Monty Cook had, like, a real authorial presence in 3rd edition. Or maybe that's just how the story is told to us, but I think it's cool to see the games that he made and then see what he would make for fifth edition i I like that we see
0: these designers like monty cook and even weiss Mm -hmm. and hickman still Uh putting out things and and creating like and who knows maybe plane breaker was something that they had been playing you know that this was an idea that they had kind of like with Tolus. maybe Tolus is actually in that whole universe and you can you know go to i don't know but I, i really like that we're still seeing designers Uh, of Monty Cook's caliber and age creating games for 5e
2: it's it's interesting from a story standpoint to just i think our tales that we enjoy of our age group are probably different than what they enjoy which is probably different than what the next generation is going to enjoy i I think about that with like movies and stuff like that very it's very hard for movies to break multi-generations of enjoyment there's sometimes like i you know I don't think i'll ever get twilight right like that's never going to be my jam but for a whole generation that was a thing but then you look at like harry potter and old man that still enjoys it because it has enough stuff there so i feel DD is kind of one of those things where it's interesting to see i don't have a lot of interest in the new Feywild wild campaign from D. doesn't it doesn't trigger a lot of stuff the carnival you know those sort of things um just kind of missed as far as didn't run out and scream super excitement for it. So I, I, I'm curious to see. Like Zach was saying, the this is this is an old school guy creating an old school campaign for the new generation. Is it going to trigger more boxes? Is it going to be more gritty? Is it going to be more real? Or you know, I don't know. It's a different perspective on things.
0: So I'm excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of more gritty and real. Let's jump to our topic of the night because that's pretty fucking gritty. We are going to be talking about the Simbrum bestiary that just that. Well, I, I can't say it was just released. That was the PDF was sent to backers. And this is an advanced copy of the PDF. Uh, and I want people to keep that in mind. Free League has specifically said right at the beginning of the PDF. Please send us corrections. Please help us edit this book kind of thing. Right. Um, but we thought it'd be fun to take a look at some of the horrific monsters that are in this bestiary and kind of tell you guys about it. I do want to say that if you are interested in the ruins of Symbrum or Symbrum in general or any of the things that Free League's is doing, I do have a link to the in the show notes to their website. You really should check it out. Uh, with that being said, Zach, we're going to throw this to you because you back this on Kickstarter and I want to start with you, get your opinions and thoughts
1: and stuff like that on this bestiary. So, Zach, tell us about it. Okay. Hey, well, I'll start with like the book itself. It begins with. An introduction, of course, and then it has a... The first half of the book is more in-depth, lore discussions of the monsters. So it's not just like, here's a description of, you know, a vampire. Here's what it likes to do, here's its stat block, move on to the next one. It's not like that. It's an in-universe kind of description of what these things are like. Then it goes into a out-of-game kind of description about how they like to behave, what you're supposed to do with them. And then it will finally give you kind of their stat blocks. So, I mean, the first half is only like 20 monsters. But each one is very in-depth. And honestly, like, when I was reading through, I was like, this is a whole adventure. This is a whole adventure. This one's a whole adventure. Like, there's some where I'm like, this is a campaign. And then the second half of the book is a bunch of, is your more standardized thing. Here's what, here's a shadow moose. It's a moose and it's corrupted. Here's what it does. It kills things. And then it moves on. And it has a lot of in-depth, it's very in-depth on how the human enemies behave. Like the elves and the humans. Like it's not just like a knight. A knight is a heavily armed individual. It's like a knight, like they are a part of the feudal system. And they've been given enough land to maintain their stuff. Like, it's so much more in-depth. Layout-wise, they have done something that you can do in a physical book that you can't do in a PDF, and they have offset things inside the page itself. That's okay when you're reading a book, because you just go, on a screen, it's very, very difficult. Because I have to basically go. but. That's not how the human eye works. Like, you still see things straight up. Like, you have to go all the way around for it to... So I think I think the PDF is kind of hard to read. I think when you get it in your hands, it won't be that hard. But some of these monsters are just nasty. And a lot of them just do not play fair.
0: I Yeah. Nolan, like, your first thoughts on this book real quick.
2: Yeah, I, I, okay, so the... I. It feels different than a monster manual, which I really liked. Um, and and was Zach saying the layout being tilted or offset, it looks like an adventurer's notes splayed out on a table, and like somebody's like manically trying to figure out what they're looking at. And so this piece of paper might be at the left angle, the right angle, and so you can look at all three. But again, your head's looking around the table like this, and this. somehow they're connected. And so I really like that's kind of what it feels like when you're when you're looking at it, reading it. it it's not just this encyclopedia of what it is. It is a a story. Uh, It feels like you're reading adventurer's notes or a a scholar's notes trying to figure something out. Um, Yeah, the monsters are same art style of everything's a little bit faded. You can't quite perfectly tell what's going on with them. There's enough there to be like your imagination picks in the details and makes it worse, which Uh is fantastic. But I do like, like... Again, the the you get a good sense of these monsters versus a stat block. The stat block is a very small part of each one. I mean, it's maybe less than a paragraph, and more of it is about uh, how you would set up the adventure for them, what their history is, how they act, uh, and a little like mini tale about them, so you can really get a an idea of what this you know creature is. And so I really, I really like it. The, again, the monsters seem like this definitely seems like a, I don't want to fight anything type story. And, and then we got that sense from it when we were talking with the guys as well, that combat should be a last resort because everything's deadly.
0: So mm-hmm. I, I, when I look at this book, and even when I think of Simbrum in general, and especially after talking to Matthias and sorry and Jacob, one of the things that strikes me about Simbrum is I very much get a Witcher feel. The Witcher is the monster hunter, right? He goes out and he kills the things that people are terrified of. And I almost get that feeling from this game. Not that that I think they've ripped off Witcher at all. I don't want anybody to think that because I don't believe they did. Couple things that I noticed, there's not too many weak monsters. Right. Like you have a couple of insects and thorns and things like that that are that are lower hit points. But everything is usually like 40 plus hit points. And and I'm scrolling through, like trying to find something that's less. And I and I really can't on page 59. And of course, I say this and nobody can go turn to it, but you guys can. uh, One of the things that struck me is they're talking about King Toad. There's a little pin thing there that talks about toad legs as a delicacy. And it talks about how adventurers will go out and hunt toad leg or hunt the toads to bring back the toad legs because they've been paid to acquire this delicacy. And I just, thought that was awesome. And it talks about the, how they're best served with root vegetables and garlic, gravy, right. which I just thought was amazingly cool. Uh, and, and, yeah, you know Nolan mentioned the artwork, and it is very free league in in its design, and I do like the the layout. Like you talked about how. The tilted, Uh the tilted paperwork. I should don't mind that on the PDF. Doesn't bother me at all. What I, what I do like is exactly what Nolan said. When I look at this book, I don't feel like it's a manual. I feel like it's an adventurer's guide, like, or a collection of adventurers. You know, the people who have gone out into the Devakar forest and, and they're like, yeah, this is what the fuck we just encountered. Here's a Colossus. Holy shit. Run from these things. And I, I just thought it was really, really cool. Really well done. Zach, I want to go back to you. Let's talk about if you could please some of the monsters that you read about that you thought were intriguing and you know, just give your thoughts on how that whole thing was set up.
1: Um, well, I found most of the monsters to be intriguing. I do think that the, the human section is so much more in-depth than I thought it would be. That was kind of what struck me, especially when, the guy, when we asked, like, what's your favorite monster? And the guys from Free League were like, the humans. Like, now I'm seeing that. They put a lot more effort into that than I thought. Um, I can't, we can't show you the art for it, uh, but there's a thing called the Sly River Hunter. Sly River Hunter? Yeah. And the first art is like a anatomical drawing of this creature. And I'm like, that's just a lobster. And then you flip the page and it shows one and it's the size of a boat and it's tearing people to pieces. You're like, oh, okay. It's a really big lobster. Um, this is the best example of, like, these monsters don't play fair. It sits underwater, it has a grapple check that's just insane, and it will drag you under. Like, were you holding your breath before you got dragged under? No. You've got five rounds to get out. And it's gonna eat you before you get there. Like, and that's assuming you have a high constitution. What if you don't? What if you've got just ten? You're already drowning. Like, I love that shit. I love that shit. I want that to happen. Drag me underwater and let me drown. Um, like you were saying with the Toad Lakes, like, I think every single one of the, of the first half of these 20 or so, like, really in-depth monsters, I was reading through them and I'm like, I can make an adventure right here, right now. Not even with the thing that they are suggesting, and they have very in-depth suggestions like i can like hey people are disappearing on the water and we really need f- someone to go and figure this shit out um the monster that i love the most are the i'm, I'm i I want to make sure i pronounce this right the neferani the neferani were an army of a thousand warriors that appeared just out of nowhere they will show up they will fight on either side of a battle that's about to take place. And every time one of them died, the other got stronger. And so they all started off human level, but there's only 27 of them left. And so each one is more stronger and more skilled than any other human on the planet. And we don't know what happens when the last one is, when there's only one left. There can be only one Islander. There can only be one. And he even has suggestions of like, what happens? Well, maybe like, oh, they've, Like, they're done. The last one standing, he has achieved enlightenment, and he's going to make some more, or maybe they're going to go into the very depths of Simbarum and become the new emperor and make everything right? We don't know. But, like, that's such a cool thing. Like, could you imagine fighting ten things, and every time you bring one down, the others get stronger? It even gives you how to do it, where their hit points just go straight up. Like, like I was reading that, and I'm like, I have a whole campaign, just boom, like right in my head, just from these guys. Of like, oh, your party's pissed off the Neferani, and they're not going to stop. Like, I don't even have to be like, alright, here's a dungeon, here's this, I'd just be like, yeah, go do whatever you guys want to do. But, like, know that every time you, like, succeed on your goals, that the Neferani are getting closer to you. Like, okay. they're going to hunt you you're down. Being and hunted you're, too. Yeah, they're going to hunt you down. And you've got, every time you beat one, the others get stronger. So, like, what does the party do? Are you going to try and level up so you can just get stronger than them? you going to try and find allies that maybe can keep you safe? Right now, that's what I would throw at the party. And that's just one monster in one bestiary. It doesn't even, it's not even involved with what the DMG has for you. And there's 20 other monsters that are that in depth.
0: Yeah, it's pretty freaking amazing.
1: I want to play one now
2: as a character concept of, I have 50 brothers out there, and I have to kill them all so I can
1: become the one. What happens when you're the one? I don't know, but I have to know. Yeah, I've just of being like, how would you love to be like, hey, you've all met in some place, right? And you're all disparate races, like elves and dwarves and goblins, and you're not supposed to get along. And just have the DM just be like, hey, no, like, it's strange, but you all like each other. And then halfway through the campaign, be like, yeah, you can all hear each other's thoughts now. And then have him be like, you're all Neferani. You're the new batch. Like, yeah, that's just one monster. All the, every other monster in here is just as in depth. Yeah. They really are.
0: Nolan, let's go to you. Uh, Same thing. You know, what was, what monster kind of jumped out at you? What intrigued you? What were your thoughts on some of these?
2: Uh, The worst monster. And the, uh, the one that bothers me the most is the glint. I believe they're called. And they are uh, apple sized ticks. Little bugs. Yeah. That bore through the brain mm-hmm. and then take control of the host by controlling them through the throat. Mm-hmm. And so like the the little horror story on there is like, hey, do you remember that ranger or the pathfinder that uh, took us in the woods last year and was just led us astray? And like, yeah, no, we heard about that. The, the guard came back and they, uh, they beat him to death and killed him. Like, yeah. Did you know why? He had a glint in his throat. And they're like, holy crap. And the other guy's like, yeah. That settles it. I'm never going in the woods again. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, we live in an area where ticks are terrifying enough. Now all of a sudden they're body snatchers. Like, I was, I'm good. But again, that's another one of those things that it talks about. How do you recognize somebody that's being controlled by a glint? Um, you know, it, it would be uh, along those same lines. Here's one monster. Your adventuring party. You make it through the woods. Everything's fine. Um, some of the caravan that you're with. Whatever. Uh, y- over the course of a couple weeks, all of a sudden the town is infested by a glint, and now you've got a weird zombie bug body snatcher kind of thing of like, do you just burn the town down and and walk away Artha style? Because that's about it. I mean, (laughs) you know, so um, I like the bug side of things. I thought that was pretty terrifying as far as, again, it, it takes the little small, you know, death lobster into a giant monster, river monster. It preys on a little bit of the things that, like, I I understand it's a big deal. If you get a tick on you, it can make you sick, that kind of stuff. Now, all of a sudden, it's a body snatcher. It just makes it that much worse. Um, so that that was mine, was just the uh, the little tiny thing that takes over. And, yeah, <laughs> it, a lot of them are cool. But, again, a lot of it is is there's just enough realism to make it scary because you can – you can, I think we've all seen a tick before at this point, right? You've all had a tick on you. You know what they do. They embed their head. You know what I mean? Like all those little things you're like, holy. you know, it, it brings a little bit of the real horror to this mega level. And
0: I liked it. I liked it. Fucking ticks. I've never had a tick on me. You're fortunate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I don't, unless I'm not, I'm fairly certain there were ticks don't really live in, in Alaska so no if so there you go if
1: someone if someone is listening and like you've never actually been out in tall grass every time you get out of tall grass you have to go over your entire body for a tick Lyme
0: disease is real
1: mm-hmm. yeah they, like, every single shadowy time.
2: quiet little dark areas mm-hmm. will hide in mm-hmm. any part of your body and yeah. then they bore their head into your skin you mm-hmm. can't pull them out because you'll rip their head off and it'll go into your bloodstream. You, yeah, I mean, it's uh, they're they're
0: fun little creatures. It's oh, yeah, it's so nasty. yeah, nasty. Check nasty. Your, you, gotta, you gotta check your balls, gotta, gotta check your balls. You gotta check your balls. <laughs> and, and Zach, remember, you do still have yours. I know, I know it is. It
2: is a, it's a fun book, uh,
0: as far as SF goes. Uh, you
2: know, again, the monsters, there, the diseases are real, but it's just. The world looks so brutal. I am I am looking forward to and not looking forward to playing against some of these.
0: So I had two monsters that really stood out to me. And and I know that had I been able to spend a lot more time with this book, I'd probably tell you, I had 10 monsters that stood I, out to me. But the two that jumped out to me the, the most, and for different reasons. One was the bestials. When I looked at the shields, uh, bestials, 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 I'm not sure how to say it. We'll say bestials for now. When I look at those, what struck me about these was there's a section on how to play them as a player character. It wasn't just, here's a monster. It's like, okay, so we don't necessarily recommend it, but you could do this, and here's how you could go about it. So yeah, here's a monster that's in the bestiary that, sure, if somebody says they want to try to play one, here's how they can go about doing that. And I thought that was really cool. Especially when you look at some of their metamorphoses and stuff. And, and like figuring out how to incorporate that to a player character, and so it's not game breaking. Really, really enjoyed that. The dark princes are fucking scary. Yeah. Like, I want to create a dark prince. Like, create a whole campaign for Symbrum and create my own dark yeah. prince. And, and like, make it so where this is the end guy that you guys are hunting. Because wow, those were badass. But the the monster that I think I actually liked. Liked air quotes here or maybe i'm most terrified of the colossi really the coloss. yes oh my gosh these things are so neat and, and I, i'm not sure what it is that i'm just like when i look at these things first off the artwork form is amazing it, it looks fantastic it looks terrifying it looks like something that i don't want to encounter ever Period. Like if I'm this is the stuff that my mind gets like ridiculously overactive sometimes, especially if I'm at night alone somewhere outside. If I'm in the woods at night alone, this is the kind of shit that I think of. Like this is the kind of shit like what was that noise? Oh, God, it must be a giant monster coming to kill me, you know, because I'm fucked up that way. However, what I liked about the colossi, this was something that a group of witches got together and said, hmm, we're going to do this. And they it, it said something like there had to be four of them. One of them had to be officiated. They end up getting all sorts of like, what was it? Five D six corruption that they had to spread out between all of them. Uh, but then they're all bound to this thing. And it's like, it's one of the, it's their familiar. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh my fucking God, what the hell is up with this? <laughs> and I want to know. And if Matias, if you're listening to this, maybe you can shoot me a message and tell me. What kind of dark fucked up thinking do you have to have to come up with some of these monsters because wow the, some of this stuff is just I mean even the artwork alone will tell you that you're not dealing with your run of the mill D&D stuff, right? You're dealing with things that are much darker. When I think about when I think about Simbarum in general and, and and this is someone who's never played in the in the realm, you know, same with both of you. But when I think about Cymbrum This is the stuff that makes going into the woods scary. Like even as a a human being, I think about the deep woods. We don't know what's out there. We don't, I mean, there's so much of this world that's never been explored, right? That we cannot say for certain that, oh yeah, this is what you're going to encounter in in this area. Just like the ocean, the Mariana Trench terrifies me. Uh, This kind of thing, like when you think about the deep, deep woods where most, you just don't go. You don't know what the fuck's there. And for them to say, this is what the fuck is there is horrifying. And they've done such a good job. And I'm, I'm like Nolan. I'm terrified and excited to play in this world. I, I mean, it's probably going to be one of those where it's like, all right, well, that character was fun. Let's roll up another one. <laughs> so that was the end of that session. Oh, we only played one session. Oh, well, let's just start again. I think it's mm-hmm. a great book. I, I think Simbram in general is fantastic. So. And
1: I think um, ignoring the great lore and the amazing art, and all that. that, um, the stat blocks themselves are very, very cool. Uh, if you go through each stat block, so normally like a fifth edition stat block is just like a bunch of information, like name, armor class, hit points, some other superfluous stuff that you just don't need, like the languages that it speaks and how much it, and whether or not it has skills. And then it will go into like special abilities and then actions and then reactions. And they've changed some stuff. In that superfluous information that like no one ever uses, they've added manner, which is a really quick, just eye glance to tell a DM what the monster is kind of acting like, which is just so cool. Like you have a glint beastial, and it shifts between calm and furious. Like that's great. That's I also perfect. like that's I such like an... the
2: tactics as well, and that yeah block.
1: Such a so. great thing to add in of just like, you're looking at this monster. What does it do? It slinks. Now you, it's perfect. Now I can describe it. Now I can describe, it. describe yeah. it. And so many things have a use for their reaction. That's kind of what's getting to me. Like, I think that should be involved a whole lot more. Like There's a managol which I didn't even have time to talk about, but it's a great monster. Um, and if it has someone grappled, it can use its reaction to suck the corruption out. Like and I think that's like a great tactical use for the for the man running the for the not man for the person running the monster. Cuz that's always like the thing of like when you're a you know a wizard you have to be like do I try and counterspell this or do I keep my reaction to cast shield because I'm going to like I might need both. for the Players getting the monster to use their reaction is really simple. You, The fighter walks up and then takes a five-foot step back to draw out an attack of opportunity so their wizard friend can try and leave. That's pretty much that's pretty much all there is. Adding these little stuff of the fighter being like, I'm going to juke back to try and get it to use its attack of opportunity, and then have it be like, no, nah, it doesn't do that. Like a bestial monster would just, play. it's going to swing, and then... You know, your monk and your rogue friend can get a free disengage, but be like, nah, the Managal doesn't do that. It's got your friend grappled. It's not going to it's not going to take the attack of opportunity. It's going to suck the corruption out of him.
2: It has its priorities of what it likes.
1: It has its priorities. Yeah. Of like or the the glint bestial, which is. The two your both of your favorite things combined. Of like, it's got a parry of like, it's not going to do that. It's going to protect itself. It's not worried about you. It's worried about beating up your wizard friend.
0: Yep. Because that's the one that's been fucking going yeah. the most, and he's got to... Yeah, Well, they like- can
2: they can be attracted to certain things. Uh, I, I think the sprite is attracted to... It'll look for creatures with regenerative abilities. It sees that it's the longest-lasting threat. Otherwise, it ignores it. Um, it talks yeah. about... Uh, I think there's a... Uh, a queen yeah the queen's main goal is to survive and lay more mm-hmm. eggs she ignores enemies as long as they do not get in the way of her escape to secure a resting place so it gives these things these personalities it gives it mm-hmm. uh i don't know it, It does, and I think that helps. And and I think we're um, not tying back, but that's what I felt was nice about uh, fizz bands as well. Adding personality to monsters gives them so much more life, and even just even a little bit of the mannerism. You know, if you sit there and it's just like going back and forth, you know, just a little bit there, you're like, oh shit, this is a predator snake. Like I can feel it a little bit more than there's a lizard folk in front of you. Good luck, roll initiative. You know, so it helps. Yeah, it's.
1: I think. I think that, I think Free League are a bunch of veteran tabletop RPG, like, creative, and I think making Simbaroom, which is a great game, and we need, I really want to play the original, because it just kind of, like, hits what I want, and I think this is them, some veterans with a lot of information, who also have a lot of experience, but they've seen what Wattsy and others had been able to do and like building off what others have done i think they've made something that's really great like well, and I again, honestly, you don't like,
2: need a 800 page bestiary if each one has personality you don't need to throw monsters at a, at a group of players if you take the time and do them right
1: and And I know there's me- well, in- I know in- there's yeah. mechanics that other things don't use, like Simbrim uses a lot of corruption. like that's how its spell casting is done. There's no spell slots. It's just the amount of corruption you can keep inside you. But I'd throw the bestials into any campaign. It's just like an alternate take on a lycanthrope. Like I just throw them in there. Why not? I'd throw the glints in there. Why not?
2: Yeah, like, you have a plague pretty quickly and, like, what's going on? It's a bug thing, and now there's a queen out there that's out there laying eggs. Like, that's a campaign.
1: Yeah, there's... Whether or not you used the player's handbook and the game master's guide, You, I'm sorry to say that you can only use those for Simbaroom. I would use every single monster in here in any game.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah... Your game's going to be significantly darker and much more scary than it was before if you use the monsters. Hey, you
1: guys are going in the deep forest. Ooh, everything here is a lot scarier.
0: Fuck yeah. I want to take a minute um, because we've talked about like some of the adding just characters and stuff. Or not characters, but adding character to the book uh, Mm. and adding just that, that almost personality. So there's a section about the Darklings. And, it, and I, I'm just going to read this because this is how the section opens. And this just gives you, our listeners, an idea of what you can expect from this book. So there's a little note that says, to whom, and it's, everything is laid out kind of at an angle. It says, to whom it may concern, the jewel in this flask is yours. All I ask in return is that you deliver the letter to Master Ildered, my husband, by the octagon in Ravinia. So then the letter goes on to say, loved ones, dear family, I will never return. I set off to find happiness and I found it in the most peculiar place in the strangest of circumstances. The journey through the woods cost us many lives, so many that only four of us finally reached whitewater and continued towards the twilight field. If this field really exists, and and if it is full of twilight thistles, I will never know, because two days upstream we walked straight into my owner's ambush. We heard nothing. We saw nothing. We did not get the slightest feeling of unease until the arrows were lodged in our legs, stopping us from running away. Slender inhumans appeared from out of the greenery, disarmed us, and tied us up in a row. My colleagues were eaten within a couple of weeks, but you know me, my stubborn inquisitiveness must have amused them or made them curious because I still live as their obedient slave, servant, and medicus. I am no longer afraid. All that remains is a harmonious and almost euphoric feeling of finally really living as life is intended to be. Forget me, just as I will forget about you. Know that I am happy. Helda, your mother and spouse. Fuck. That's the kind of stuff when I'm looking through a monster manual that just when I read that now, because the Darklings aren't like when you look at their stat blocks. Yes, they're 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 scary, but they're not something that you would feel is overwhelming. Right. Until you read about how they work and just getting this story like, OK, there was an ambush. They didn't know anything about them until all of a sudden there's arrows in their legs. And then you look and it says that the Darklings attack like they get a surprise attack as long as they didn't you know the, the, the uh, players didn't know they were there. And it's it, it, oh my god, right? And so this this little letter sets you up as a as the as the game master to be able to say, okay, this gives me an idea of here's an example, if you will, of how darklings will work. And this is riddled throughout the whole book, things like this. And that's I I just think that is amazing. And when you start putting stuff like that in a monster manual, in a B-Sherry, whatever, it allows a GM, a DM, whatever you want to call it, that insight. Because it, it, it really is like you're looking at a game and saying, oh, OK, that's how that works. I can see that now. Now I can apply that and make my encounter that much more exhilarating for my players to experience. So fucking yeah. yeah. Should be fun. All right, guys. We are we are definitely out of time. I just wanted to get real quick, get your last thoughts on this. Uh, Zach, like I said, you are the backer of this book, so we are going to start with you. Tell us your final thoughts on this book.
1: I'm going to fuck you guys up when we play Simba Room. Perfect.
0: I look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Noah, how about I, you? Are you terrified? I am. Now?
2: I'm also... I am looking forward to making a character... Um, I feel like when I play 5e now, I try to make interesting personalities that will have weird quirks or do like a thing really well. Um, I feel like when I play this one here, I am going to have to try to find every advantage I possibly can to make sure I survive. And I'm looking forward to creating a character that goes into these woods. Like if the monsters are scary and then all of a sudden you're a ranger that guides people through it, I want to see what that plays like um because you i i don't know i haven't felt i don't know i think there's classes in dnd 5e that are powerful but i think this has to be a different level of survival skills and, and leaning into that more so of uh stealth kind of gets thrown out on our games a little bit because there's always somebody that's super loud or you know survival is kind of a throwaway thing i want i want to play that gritty realism like keep your voice down it's super important this is how we survive. Like I I I can't wait to make a character in this world to fight some of this stuff or mostly run away.
0: I watched a commercial recently where there was two gazelles and they're talking to each other about this lion that's creeping up on on, on them, right? And they're like, Oh no, there's a lion. And the other one's like, Well, guess I'm gonna drink a Red Bull. Like, but Red Bull is not going to make you faster than the lion and the gazelle is like no, but it's going to make me faster than you. And I feel like when you're playing in Simbrium, you better keep your Red Bull handy because all you need to do is outrun your fucking party so you can live. And and I obviously when you're playing in games like this, you want to be able to you know have that camaraderie with your with your players. But you almost feel like all I got to do is outrun your ass and I'll live. Fuck you, <laughs> that coloss, I can eat you. I'm living. I am. I am so excited to play in this world. i I I'm really excited to play other freely games as well, like the One Ring and Morkborg or, or anything that we may decide that we want to check out. I want to see the stuff that they're doing. I want to actually experience it. And Symbroon is that aside. It's hit that and the One Ring are sitting side by side. Those are the two that I want to play the most right now. And Agreed. I think, I think Simbrum, like Zach said, it checks because I love the darker stuff. That's why I love Ravenloft so much. And Simbrum, for me, for dark fantasy, Simbrum is just checking every fucking box.
2: Yeah, I think it'll be nice too. I mean, we do Simbrum after this next one, uh, die a lot, scare the hell out of each other. And then we can go do the one ring for a little bit of a palate cleanser and I am I'm I'm excited for it I'm looking forward to the classes things feel strong when you look at like as the player who just specifically looks oh wow this looks really strong this looks really strong and then you look at the monsters you're like I don't think it's strong enough this is gonna be this this is gonna be a ride and so I'm I'm looking forward to it Um, I really do feel like it's gonna be one of those times where we sit down as a table and
1: make a group somewhat together I'm Um, gonna make you I plan I mean, on running this game. I'm gonna have to make you guys be like, hey, you can't all you can't play elves and dwarves and goblins. Like you have to actually build a party. Yeah, let's
2: find a reason to be together. Let's be a team. Seal team six going into the woods type situation. Cause I mean, five E you can get away with two barbarians and two monks and a cleric. Like I mean, that's you find a way to make it work. Here, I feel like you're gonna need people to cover each other's gaps. Otherwise, you're not you bring your red bull so resume, yeah. uh, and again i think we've we've all been impressed with free league the more we look at and stuff the more excited we get so it's been it's been fun and a very happy discovery.
0: Well, guys, that is our show for this week. We are completely out of time. Um, I appreciate you both so much for taking the time to look through these things and being prepared for the show. It just makes this run so much smoother. I'm uh, going to be doing some reaching out to Free League. I want to talk to them about Cyborg. Um, we might reach out to Sean as well to see if he'll come back on and talk to us about Plane Breaker uh, and, and explore some more Monty Cook stuff. So. Hopefully we have more things coming up for everybody soon. Well, not hopefully we do have more things coming up for everybody soon as we continue this journey that is now at episode 153. Very cool. Crazy, crazy. Thank you everybody so much for listening. We will see you next time.